0: The only thing of any potential substance that you might learn from this episode is that I really like Broderick Jones. If you want more than that, you're going to be disappointed. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates. Have I mentioned that I like Broderick Jones? Oh, I have? I'm going to do it again anyway. This kid walked onto that field over on the south side for rookie minicamp, which is not a performance thing, which is not some kind of intensive football drills thing. It's a walkthrough that's not even as interesting as a regular old Saturday regular season walkthrough. In fact, there's almost nothing that occurs out there that would have you thinking anything about anyone involved from a performance standpoint. But Jones doesn't need that. He is massive. He is gargantuan. And when he walked out there for the beginning of offensive line drills over in one of the end zones where I hung out, Pretty much the entire time. You could have, as a reporter, gone across any of two fields and checked out different positions. I never left the offensive line. I wanted to see, hear, and even feel what this kid's all about. First round pick, 14th overall, franchise left tackle. There to protect the franchise quarterback, Kenny Pickett. I wanted to pick up whatever I could pick up. The first thing over the course of the session with Pat Meyer, the offensive line coach, right there with him. Uh, Not spending equal time with all of the linemen, by the way, around him. One thing that Mike Tomlin believes in, he wants to see the first rounders treated like first rounders. You will always see in a Pittsburgh practice setting that the first rounders are getting the attention. I don't think I've ever seen it quite to the extreme that Eddie Faulkner, the running backs coach, has done with Najee Harris over the past couple of years, but Meyer came close. The two of them communicated nonstop. Meyer would watch Jones stop him, do the same thing that he wanted done back, and then have Jones do it to him. Jones would ask questions. And then when Jones was done, getting the answer, he would then, and this was kind of funny, he would look away a little bit and re-mouth the answer that he'd just heard so that he could absorb it more fully. What can you expect at Point Park University in downtown Pittsburgh? Respect, rigor, relevance. That's the Point Park pledge. You'll be treated with respect while being challenged and supported academically to graduate with career-ready, relevant skills. Visit pointpark.edu to learn more. Jones also was, and boy is this worth repeating, massive. And he was massive in a way that becomes all the more impressive when you could watch his fluidity. I'm going to repeat that you're not seeing drills here or anything. He's not facing Nick Bosa or Miles Garrett or anybody. But you can see when an athlete is that big and they can still move even in their walking gait. And he is that. The only recent stealer, and I'm talking about over the past 10 years that I can even compare him to, is the other tackle on the team. Chooks Okorafor is built very similarly. Chooks is a freak. You might not always like Uh, What he gets in the way of results, but no one anywhere would question Chooks' physique and how he can handle it. That's what this kid is. He is, he is just, you just look at him and you say, yep, first rounder. If you'd never heard of American football in your life and someone had just dropped you in at this facility and asked you to pick out which one of these guys was taken first in the draft, you'd point right to him. Actually, you might also give a good look at Darnell Washington, but I'll deal with that some other time. And then as Broderick was coming off the field and I approached to ask him a few questions, he ended up impressing me all the more. Here's here's the very beginning of our conversation. How how real does this feel now that you're out here? A little bit more, you know, stuff, NFL stuff. Yeah, man, it feels great, you know, just being out here um, with the guys, you know, grinding, getting it in, Uh, you know, I'm just ready to get it going, see what everybody got, see what I can do and, you know, make it work. Actually made him smile. You can't see that on audio, obviously, but as he answered me, he was looking around at the rest of the field. He was looking at some of the players that he'd just worked out with, some of the coaches, and he's not easy to make smile. I can tell you that right now. And I got the impression from that answer and from his general demeanor that he was not only happy to be there, but also kind of relieved. After all the draft hype, after I'm sure his family and friends and five million texts and all that other stuff that goes with being a first-round pick, that he was just a football player again just a football player facing a football challenge. He went on to answer several other questions, all of them with a maturity and a thoughtfulness uh, that belied his youth. And this is a very, very young first round pick, but also showed the experience that he had quite clearly, I thought at Georgia playing for a national champion and being interviewed a lot down there in Athens and in the Atlanta market. And best of all, when Bosa and Garrett came up, when facing T.J. Watt and or Alex Highsmith in practice came up, when the competition that he's expected to have, or at least that's the way it's going to get painted, with Dan Moore Jr. came up, he just said, I have to be the best version of me. I know what I can do. I know what my abilities are. I just have to be the best version of me. That's, I've been doing this a while, my friends, and that's, that's what you want. That's what you want in a player who's going to be among your most talented. You want him to operate with a mindset like that. When we come back, J1Q. Today's J1Q comes from John, and he asks, Hey, DK, what happens if this offense really takes off this season? And I'm not saying anything like Pittsburgh's going to the Super Bowl, but what if the offense became top eight, top 10 in the league? Does Matt Canada get extended? Or would that success be attributed to the players who were brought in or the maturation of Kenny Pickett? I guess my real question is, do you see any situation where Canada could actually keep his job past this season? Do I have to bring out the translator here? I, I do. The translator? Okay. All right. Here it comes. The translator. This question is from John. Hey, DK. I live in abject terror of Canada being extended for another year. Please tell me that no matter what good things happen this fall... He'll still be shot into the hot sun. <laughs> oh, just say what you mean when you're asking me the questions. You know you could do it. John, my belief is this. When you have a diversity of weaponry, like it appears the Steelers will have this fall and winter, there's going to be a reasonable and trackable Cause to expect that your coordinator will make the most of it, meaning make the most of all of it. I don't believe that the Steelers' offense, as currently constituted, has one weapon that is so superstar ish that they can ride it the whole way down a field. There's no Antonio Brown on this team. As such, it's going to take creativity. It's going to take imagination. It's going to take play design. It's going to take route trees. It's going to take Kenny Pickett being able to spontaneously, regardless of the script, find the right targets and then hit them. It's going to take physical play, physical punishing play up front by the offensive lineman, by the new kid at left tackle, by the tight ends even by the wide receivers, to make sure that Najee Harris can do his 100 to 120 yards damage, that Jalen Warren can come in and take advantage of that softened up defense. It's going to take all of this, and I haven't even mentioned George Pickens in the deep ball, Calvin Austin in the jet sweeps, Deontay Johnson in the games that don't matter. Sorry, too easy. It's going to take everybody. Not from the cliche standpoint, but to compensate, I think, for the lack of that phenom. The Steelers don't have that on the offensive side of the ball. There is exactly one unquestioned phenom on this roster, and that's T.J. Watt. If you went to the second level there, you'd be getting to Minka Fitzpatrick, and it would take you a while to get over to the offense. It doesn't exist over there. It's going to have to be something that the coordinator makes work. So the scenario that you're describing there, the wishful, hopeful scenario that you're describing there, that the Steelers offense can succeed despite Canada or by working around Canada is not at all believable. It just isn't. He's going to have to be a part of it. And to answer your hypothetical or to try to answer it anyway, if the Steelers do succeed in this regard. If they're a top 8, top 10, I don't want to say offense because that just gets into yards. I want to talk about scoring. A top 8, top 10 scoring offense. Heck yeah, you keep him. Yeah. Absolutely, I don't think that's going to happen. But I sure wouldn't be turning my back on a coordinator that gets me into the top 8 or top 10 of the scoring in the league. You know, it's not that important to me to be right, believe me. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We will do another one of these tomorrow. And I'm bringing the translator with me again.